guys hear me okay? Good. All right. Hey, again, thank you all for coming to worship with us this morning. Uh, we are so honored and blessed to have you guys here with us. Uh, to uh, the people who choose to watch us online, we welcome you this morning. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, man, this has been an awesome journey through this book of Exodus. You know, we've seen God do some, some amazing things. We've seen God do some things to just blow our minds. And now we've, we've come to a point where, you know, the, the children of Israel find themselves in a very difficult position. And, you know, and it, it will be real easy for us to point fingers and wonder why or to, in a way, judge them when we are guilty of the exact same thing. There's a, a word that I will mention that you may hear me mention multiple times, and that word is syncretism. And what that is is when you take religions from one, we'll take things from one religion and try to join them with things uh, with another religion, and therefore you have a different religion or a different standard. You know, as I mentioned in the, uh, in the first service, I remember it being in junior high school, little short, scrawny kid uh, playing basketball over here in this gym. And uh, because I was not tall enough, you know, we would place a chair like a little ways from the basket and we would get a running start and we would jump off the chair and dunk the basketball. You know, and, and that reminds me of how sometimes at the office over here, how our sons would get together and they would lower the basketball goal just so they could dunk. And, and the point I'm trying to make with that is sometimes in our life when we are in difficult positions or when it seems like God is far away from us or he's not answering our prayers or he's not hearing us, we do the exact same things the children of Israel do is we create gods for ourselves. We take some things of God and some things of this world and we'll marry them together to create this standard of living for ourselves. You know, and the illustration about the basketball goal is sometimes we feel God's standards for us are up here and that's too high for me to reach. And so in order for me to feel good about myself, I will lower God's standards to a place where I feel I can reach them. And I remember this one particular time, my first time trying this, is in this gym, they would slide some of the bleachers back, and you have the basketball go down, and I ran and jumped off the bleachers, and I got up so high, it freaked me out. Freaked me out to the point where I just threw the basketball, and I didn't even dunk it. And the point I'm making is sometime when we lower God's standards, we can get ourselves in a position that we're not ready for. We'll get ourselves in a spot where it will be very difficult for us to handle. And so as we move through these next two chapters, chapters, chapters 33 and 34, I, I pray that your mind is open. And furthermore, I pray, I truly pray that you see yourself. Amen. God, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for how you love us. God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship here in this place. God, we know this is a school, but right now, God, this is your sanctuary. 
God, this is your temple. God, this is your tabernacle. And we pray that your presence is here with us. And Father, we, we thank you for this opportunity. God, I, I pray now as I empty myself, God, to be filled by you. Father, I pray you use me, speak through me, God. God, I pray that I say nothing that would bring damnation on myself or anyone in here. But God, I, I only seek to glorify you today. May your name be lifted high. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I stated, we just witnessed a a, a very crazy event at the end of chapter 2, chapter 32. We've seen the children of Israel find themselves wondering, man, where is this guy Moses? He's supposed to be our leader, and he's up on the mountain. We don't know if he's alive or dead. And so they go to Aaron. Aaron. We need a God. We need something to worship. We need something to worship. And so Aaron had this grand idea. All right, give me all your gold, your rings, your, your earrings, your, your necklaces and stuff. And he, he carves or he makes this golden calf for them to worship. And Moses comes down the mountain and he hears them singing and dances, dancing. And Moses gets upset and he breaks the tablets that he's just spent. 40 days and 40 nights up there in the presence of God preparing for the people. And Moses gets upset. And we see at the beginning of verse of chapter 33, God says in verse 1, starting at verse 1, it says, The Lord says to Moses, depart, go from here. You and your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, all the ites. And he says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. Because of the sin of the people, God said, I'm going to remove my presence. He does for us. Sin separates us from God. We learned last Monday night in watching a video by Dr. Evans that, you know, the Bible says in Genesis that God and, Mo, uh, God and Adam were walking together in the cool of the day. But the moment Adam and Eve sinned, it created this separation between them and God. And when God came and asked, where are you? That sin separated. And the same thing here with the children of Israel. Because of them worshiping the golden calf, that was a sin towards God. And so God said, you know what? I'm going to give you what I promised, but I'm not going with you. And folks, that is a bad position to be in. Because when we're left to our own thoughts and own ideas, we'll find ourselves doing things that that really not of God. We would tend to try to make up things or make excuses or try to reason with sin. And so we ourselves will take things of this world and things of God and try to put them together to create this standard or this religion for us to live by to make us feel good about ourselves. And this is the position they found themselves in. He says, but I will not go up among you. 
lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Translation, you're stubborn. And because of your propensity to sin, if I go with you, I will have to consume you. I would have to destroy you because guess what? You're going to sin again. So for your sake, I'm going to send somebody with me. He said, I'll send my angel, but I'm not going. And how do we know that God, God removed his, his presence from among the people? We'll, find, we'll see later on in this chapter. But if you notice that up until this point, they have been preparing to build the temple. To build the temple so God will have a, a, a place among them in the camp. But because the, temp, the camp is now defiled, because of their sin, God said, I'm going to remove my presence. Verse 4 says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord has said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go among you, I will consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from, from Mount Horeb onward. So the things that they used to create this God, God said, take it off. Take it off. And so now when you look at each other, you're reminded of your sin. Let that be a reminder of what you, what you did. And so verse 7, between verses 7 and verse 11, we hear of the tent of meetings. Now, this is not to be confused with the tabernacle because the tabernacle has not yet been built. And so what Moses did, so because of the sin and the camp being defiled, Moses would take the tent and set it up outside the camp so where he could meet with God. And the people, when Moses set up the tent and Moses is standing out in, in front of the tent waiting to meet with God, the people were standing at the house like, y'all, y'all remember as kids when, when you would do something and mom and daddy hadn't got home yet and you hear a car door slam, you're like, man, is he coming? Is he going in? So they stand at the, at the doors of this tent, the word says, waiting for Moses to go inside because they know once Moses goes inside, then God comes. And the Bible says that when Moses goes inside the tent and the, and the presence of God comes down in the pillar of a cloud, the people worshiped. God hasn't completely left us alone. He didn't completely leave us alone. So as long as God was meeting with, with, with Moses, we were good. But isn't it better when you can meet with God yourself? But because of sin, God removed himself from among the camp. And then we see from verses 12 to verses 22. 23, Moses began to make his intercession. He says in verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, 
Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider to this nation is your people. God, if I am doing what you called me to do, please let me know. God, I I need you to reassure me that I'm on the path that you set. I don't know about you guys, but I've asked myself that same question. When life punches you in the gut, God, am I doing what you called me to do? When people won't listen, God, am I doing, God, you need to remind me because look, this is getting a little tough. Let me know. And here's the beautiful part about what Moses said. Moses was not just thinking about himself. He says, consider to these people, your people, this nation. These are your people. In verse 14, he said, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. God, if you're not going with me, I don't want to take another step. If you are not with me, I cannot do this on my own. And I dare not try to do this on my own. So God, if you're not going with me, I'm going to stand here. I will not move. The problem with us is we think we could do it ourselves. We try to do it ourselves. God, you're not going to answer my prayer, I'll take care of it myself. You're not going to do it when I want it, I'll do it myself. I've said those same things. My shoulders are not big enough to carry the load that God has. And because my shoulders are not big enough, I find myself on my knees. Praying for his strength, praying for his guidance. God, if you're not, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go. Listen to what happens or what Moses says in verses in verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, is it not your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. God, how are they going to know the difference between us and them if you're not with us? The Bible teaches that they will know us by what? How we love one another. And what Moses is saying, God, the fact that you are with us. That's how people can tell the difference from your people versus every other people. It's because you are with us. And then God says, and then he says in verse 17 on, and the Lord says to Moses, this very thing that I have spoken, I will do for you, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. 
And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Backtrack with me if you will. To verses 9, excuse me, verse 11. It says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. The part I wanted you to see was the, where it says Moses spoke to God face to face. Now, and then we see in the, this, this verse here that God says, you can't see my face. Man can't see my face and live. What's happening there, there's this language called anthropomorphic promorphic language, had to get that out, that's pretty tough, that, um, that where they take some truths of God and, and they are illustrated using human characteristics. So that's what the writer's doing, and he's using that, that language to illustrate some truths of God. And so God and Moses are meeting face to face, and then in Moses' intercession, he said, God, show me your glory. God, I want to see you. And God tells Moses, no man can see my face and live. Why? Because he, he was so glorious. His light was so, so brilliant. His, his glory and majesty was just overwhelming that, you know, sin and light can't exist in the same spot. So God said, you can't see my face and live. God did say, I'll tell you what I'll do for you. He said, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to allow my glory to pass before you. But then I'm going to remove my hand so you can see my back. So you can see I was here. I'm going to give you what you asked for, Moses. And then in the beginning of verse 34, chapter 34, after God tells Moses what he's getting ready to do, God now instructs Moses to get get two more tablets. The tablets, remember, that he broke when he got mad at the people? God said, get two more tablets, and I want you to meet me on the mountain in the morning. And then coming to verse 3 says, no one shall come up with you and let no one be seen, excuse me, throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds gaze opposite that mountain. And I want to take this time, this point, this verse to illustrate to you the importance of getting alone with God. That alone time, that that one-on-one time with God. Because as we're getting ready to see in that alone time that God and Moses spend together, God is getting ready to reveal some things to Moses about himself. And there's some things God wants you to know about him. But he want to get you by yourself. I know what business looks like. I I know we, we can get so busy doing the things of God that we forget to even talk to God. We forget to spend that time with him. So when you hear people talk about a long time, this is why that is important. He says, let no one, no one shall come up with you. 
and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded, as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hands two tablets of stone. And then again, the Lord descended in verse five in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And if you look at Lord in your Bibles, all the L, the O, the R, and the D should all be capitalized. That means something. That means God began to reveal to Moses his real name, his true name, the name that was supposedly so holy that they couldn't even speak it. The name of Yahweh. And God began to tell Moses all these things about himself. Go to verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity, iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. It would break my heart for my children to suffer for the sin I'm not willing to let go of. The things we do don't just affect us. We see the word. We see the scripture. It would break my heart for my kids to suffer because I'm not willing to let go of that sin. In verse verse 8, he says, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Man, I pray that is our response when God shows us ourselves. We, we sing the songs and we pray the prayers, God, I, I want to be more like you. But when he show you that mirror, you be like, oh, my gosh. I pray our initial response will be that of Job is that we will fall down and worship. Not run away. Not run away. And Moses, in, in verse 9, and he said, if now... I have found favor in your sight, O Lord. Please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And from verses 10 to verse 28, God begins to renew his covenant. God begins to rewrite those tablets. God, through Moses, begins to rewrite those tablets, and he gives some specific instructions. And there's one specific thing I want to point out in verses um, 12 through 16. It says, take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go. Lest it become a snare in your midst, you should tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord whose name is jealous, 
is a jealous God. Not jealous in the bad sense, but jealous meaning he is protective of his own will and the passions of his people. Lest you make a covenant in verse verse 8, I mean, yeah, my number's covered up, I'm sorry. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice and you take their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. So what God is saying is this. And let me remind you, this has nothing to do with race. Although there are some people that are trying to make this seem like, okay, here's a verse where God says about race, but what God is saying is the inhabitants of the land are worshiping false and idols, false God and idols, have nothing to do with them. Matter of fact, tear down all their altars, destroy all of that. Don't join them in their sacrifices. Don't join them in their worship, because here's the thing. If you do that, remember that word syncretism? We will have a golden calf experience all over again. So God is saying, have nothing to do with him. Verse 18, 17 says, you shall not make for yourself any god of cast metal. You shall keep the feast of the unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Bib. For the month of Bib you came out of, came out from Egypt. What God is saying is in April you came out of Egypt. And then in April, for seven days you keep the feast of unleavened bread. And so they begin, he and Moses, to write out the, the, the covenant, to renew the covenant, and we come to verse, verse 28, and it says, so he was there with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the commandment, the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So after Moses comes down and he sees the people worshiping the idol, gets mad, gets angry, and he throws down the tablets and breaks them. And he scolds the people in a sense, and God removes his, his presence from among the people, and Moses intercedes for the people, and we see now God renewing that covenant. Guys, I prayed. I prayed. I said, God, I, I, I want to I see this. I want to see this, God. Show me this. Show me how this all unfolded. And yesterday, on my way from leaving my parents' house in Abbeville, you know, I, I saw myself standing next to God on that mountain when the people were worshiping and dancing around the golden calf. And to answer my prayer, God showed me something. Because in that crowd of people, you know who face I could make out? Mine. I saw myself worshiping that calf. I saw myself worshiping idols. Because I've had idols in my life. I've had things other than God that I've worshiped. 
So it's like God said, forget about everybody else. You need to fix this. So I began to weep. I began to cry. One, because we serve a God who loves us so much that he gave everything. But I'm so stubborn, so selfish, that I choose to worship anything other than him. And we all do it. Positions, houses, cars, possessions, all these things we choose to worship other than the person who created us. So before we point fingers, look in the mirror. Before we say how crazy it is that they will worship somebody else or worship another God, look in the mirror. Because we do the same thing. I have done the same thing. As the band makes their way out. Verses 29 and following. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Guys, when you spend that time with God, when you spend that alone time with God, things will be different. Not only will you look different spiritually, you can even look different spiritually, physically. And Moses' face was shining so, so brilliantly that it would freak people out. It would mess their head up. Some were afraid. Some didn't understand. And so what Moses do, Moses veiled his face. Because he didn't want anything distracting from the message he had from God. And so he chose to cover his face until it was time for him to meet with God again. Church, if you hear nothing else, hear this. We've sinned. We've worshipped idols. But we have an innocence. And his name is Jesus. The one who paid it all. The one who gave all. The one who said when, when God said, I'm going to destroy these people because they are stiff-necked people, I'll take it. Give me their punishment. Send me. Every ounce of wrath we deserve, Jesus took on himself. Because he loves us. And I don't want to assume this morning that we all have a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to assume that we've all made it that profession of faith. But what I will do is offer that opportunity right now. We don't know what's going to happen when we leave these doors. We don't know what the next minute holds for us. 
I'll be around. Fish will be available. There's others out here that will be willing to share with you the message of the gospel. Guys, look around. Have you watched the news lately? Once we get past uh, all the the, the crazy narratives, the, the black and white, the, the homosexual. Once we get past all of that, can you see what's happening? Flip to the back of this book. You can read what's happening. Our time is winding. I used to think as a kid that I had time to give my life to Christ. Man, death doesn't care how old you are. Sin doesn't care how old you are. If you haven't made a choice to give your life to Christ, now's the time. Would you pray with me? God, forgive us. God, I want you in my life. Jesus, take over my heart. I surrender everything to you. I'm tired of living this sinful life. I'm tired of giving of myself to any and everything other than you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Come in, take over. I surrender everything to you. I believe that you were born of a virgin. I believe that you suffered the cross. I believe on the third day that you rose again, and I believe that you're coming back to get us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We need you right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, the altar is open. Like I said, I'll be down. Fish will be down. We're here for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I mean, we worry about any and everything else. But the most important decision you will ever make would be to follow Christ and accept him or not. There's no in-between. There's no I'll, I'll do this or it, coming to church on Sundays is not, it's not going to cut it. God wants your heart. Wouldn't it break your heart if you fix a plate of food for someone who was starving but they were too stubborn to eat? Wouldn't that break your heart? Well, it breaks God's heart when we live in this sinful world and he's given us a way out and we turn a blind eye to it. God wants you.